0: Hey, it's Dan Diamond, the normal host of this show, and I was finally convinced to take a vacation. So, like you, I'll be listening to this episode of Pulse Check to learn something new. Please stay tuned for a conversation with my colleagues at Politico. Welcome to Politico's Pulse Check. I'm Paul Demko. Subbing in for Dan Diamond, and I've got Alice Olstein, one of our congressional reporters, and Sarah Carlin-Smith, one of our farmer reporters, here with me. Hi, Alice. Hello. Hello, Sarah.
1: Hi, Paul. Great to be here.
0: Today on the show, we're going to talk about two main topics. We're going to talk about drug prices which the Trump administration has been rolling out uh, various proposals to, to combat drug prices in recent months. But we're going to start off with the lame duck session of Congress. So most of the drama today is focused on the uh, election for uh, Speaker of the House and how many votes uh, Nancy Pelosi will get. But we only care about health care. <laughs> 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 so, Alice, um, what, if anything in terms of health care legislation, can we expect to come out of this lame duck Congress?
2: So there are a bunch of things we're watching, but mostly we're reporting on what's not going to happen on health care during uh, the remaining uh, few days of this Congress. All the attention, like you said, is on the leadership elections and also on this border wall funding fight that could trigger a potential partial government shutdown in just a few days. And so All of Congress's attention is on that and on preventing that from happening. President Trump's demanding his wall money. Folks are saying no. It's the same old story we've had several times (laughs) over the last few years. But in all of that madness, um, they are talking about doing a few things related to health care. There's, as ever, efforts to delay or get rid of um, some of the unpopular Obamacare taxes on medical devices and um, Cadillac plans. Um, there are efforts to pass an over-the-counter drug bill and um, a pandemic preparedness bill, although um, Sarah is going to explain what's what's holding those up. Uh, <laughs> some infighting there on the Republican side. Um, and efforts to pass any sort of bigger conservative priorities through reconciliation. Our colleagues on the Congress team had a piece out this morning about how there's just very little interest in ramming anything through. Um, they want to get it done. They don't want the government to shut down.
0: What are the top things that healthcare groups are pushing for that they're going to be most upset about? What are one, two, and three among those among those healthcare uh, priorities?
2: Well, there's been a wave of lobbying um, from the pharmaceutical industry to address the so-called donut hole. I think Sarah can um, talk about that. She's been doing some great
1: reporting on that. Yeah, so this is a huge priority for the drug industry. In February, they got hit with close to $12 billion in extra money to help pay for seniors' drug costs when they're in this coverage gap phase of Medicare. And they've been pushing f- to get rid of $4 billion of that because they argue the CBO made a scoring error and Congress actually put them on the hook for more money than they meant to. Um and it's a big lobbying fight, but the issue is dr- the cost of drugs is such a big issue for voters on both sides of the aisle right now. And you have groups like AARP, Patients for Affordable Drugs, um, the Coalition for Sustainable Arts Drug Pricing. That's kind of out there messaging, like, if you do this change, you know, you're just kind of helping pharma at the expense of patients right now. So it's a it's a tricky political fight, but this is pharma's – they feel like, like many people right now – they have republicans in power for just you know another month or so they want to try and get um the best deal they can while they still have a more slightly more friendly congress
0: yeah and i wonder if if that's kind of uh, morphing into the democratic leadership fight too um given that i would think that nancy pelosi facing this sort of rebellion on her side probably doesn't want to be seen as sort of currying favor to you know big pharma um, at this kind of tricky moment for her
2: right and um, there, there's a lot of pressure on Democrats who ran primarily on health care and on helping um, folks who are um, feeling the squeeze and for unaffordable plans and unaffordable medicines um, so to to turn around and have a big giveaway to the industry would not be a great look for them
0: So what's the timeline here? Just remind me of how long they're going to be in session and when we'll know for sure um, exactly what's going to get done and what's going to get left on the table.
2: Well, the must-pass spending bills have to pass by December 7th, which is fast approaching, and uh, they could stay in session after that and pass all kinds of things. The Senate could shove through a few more judges, although they have a strong Republican majority next year, so there's less pressure to to ram those through now. That's been a huge priority of theirs uh, all along this whole time. And so it's expected that especially in the House, especially the lawmakers who did not win re-election will just want to get out of here. And everyone else uh, on Capitol Hill, they say, you're smelling jet fumes. Um, You're already smelling the jet fumes uh, wafting through the Capitol. Yeah, it's wanting to go home.
0: It's always interesting to see kind of what uh, this can be sort of peak sausage making time, like what gets crammed in at the last minute, Um, you know, particularly since so many of these members aren't going to be facing voters again. So what kind of what kind of You know, packages do they manage to to cram through when nobody's paying that much attention?
2: Right. And one one of the possibilities for um, the donut hole fix um, is to pair it with something that folks might find more palatable, another drug issue, maybe to to pay for the change or
1: to make it more politically (laughs) easy. And because it's most likely to wind up in this big spending package, even though right now the momentum doesn't seem like it's in Pharma's favor, you have to, like, constantly be watching this (laughs) until the absolute end. Because when you have a big spending package like this, there's a million pieces flying all over the table, a million kind of give-and-take negotiations. So it's never over until it's over. And if the Congress wants to kind of put this in, they're going to try and do it as quietly as possible to try and draw the least amount of attention so – Groups that are angling on both sides of this know, like, they cannot get complacent. Yeah. This this fight is not over until, like, that spending bill essentially is done, signed, Yeah, I mean, finished. You, have, you have
0: an army of lobbyists looking for any opening possible. And I would say the same thing probably applies to med device tax and health insurance tax. They're also looking for any possible vehicle that they might be able to shove that into.
2: Right. <laughs> and um, on on that... Um, Uh, Talking to House lawmakers last night, um, they basically are pointing the finger at the Senate and saying it's it's they're the ones holding this up. We would have gotten rid of medical device tax yesterday if not for the Senate.
0: Alice mentioned a kind of interesting dispute going on uh, within the Senate Republican caucus. Sarah, you and our colleague uh, Sarah Overmall broke the story yesterday um, that Senator Burr from North Carolina and Senator Isaacson from Georgia um, are locked in a dispute that could imperil two different health care uh, bills that they uh, want to get passed. Tell us a little about bit that. about
1: that. Right. So there are these two bills that ideally I think health policy people and even most members of Congress would like to get done this year. One is this pandemic prep bill, which was A program created after 9-11 that helps – provides a lot of government money and funding to do sort of medical countermeasures, different kind of biologic threat security. And the funding actually already expired in September. The House passed its version of the bill but it's been waiting to go to the Senate floor. The other bill, which again also passed by the House, is this massive overhaul of over-the-counter drug regulation. The biggest change in how those are regulated in 40 years, and is generally seen on both sides of the aisle, as, and by I think is kind of a general consensus is this is a really good change. that will make these products much safer. But what happened is is Senator Burr, the pandemic bill, that's kind of his project. He's been kind of frustrated with the FDA. The FDA commissioner has been going after tobacco pretty hard, um, upping regulation.
0: North Carolina being a very big tobacco state.
1: Right. And Burr in general, the -the over-the-counter drug program also involves industry paying some fees to the FDA. And Burr, that's another thing that Burr's always kind of opposed to FDA, new FDA user fees. And so he basically said, I'm not happy with this. I'm going to put a hold on Isaacson's over-the-counter drug bill. Johnny Isaacson of Georgia is kind of the lead sponsor in the Senate of that. And so in return, Johnny Isaacson said, OK, you're going to do this to me. I'll do it right back to you. And people have described it as the two of them being sort of in like a staring match. And it's kind of (laughs) whose blinks first. Um,
0: so do you expect when it all shakes out, you expect them to find some kind of resolution to this, given that there's bipartisan support for these things? And particularly the pandemic bill seems like right. a pretty big deal.
1: Right. So we were told that there was some progress on getting to a resolution, some tweaks to the over-the-counter bill to make Burr happy Um, But then what happened was FDA, which has been slowly doing more stuff on tobacco, did some more actions on tobacco. They went after e-cigarettes. They are talking about banning menthol. And that kind of got Burr angry again. So we'll see if they can all get back to the table. The other thing is the pandemic bill is a little bit more, I would say, of a must pass (laughs) since you actually had funding expire. Um, The over-the-counter bill is not quite so much. So I think there is probably going to be some pressure on Isaacson to kind of like, if this drags on, to be like, okay, let the pandemic thing go through. We'll deal with the -the over-the-counter drug bill later.
0: Let's stick with uh, drug prices. Sarah, on Monday, CMS announced sort of its latest effort that it's touting as a a way to, um, you know. drive down drug costs, which has been a big, at least rhetorical issue um, for the administration. Tell us a little bit about these changes to Part D. What are the most significant ones, um, and do you think they really will have much of an effect on drug prices?
1: So there's two really big, um, interesting proposals in this new Medicare Part D rule. The first is aimed at the what are known as the protected classes. These are six groups of medicines where all Medicare Part D plans have to cover every single drug in those categories. So this includes cancer medicines, HIV drugs, antidepressants, um, drugs for epilepsy, pretty big categories of medicine. And right now the government is basically says we can't health plans can't get good deals on these medicines because if you're forced to cover them, you have no leverage, negotiating leverage to get the price down. In the private sector, most people's health plans kind of exclude some drugs or do sort of formulary tiering or, you know, procedures to kind of have some leverage with drug companies to get the prices lower. So Medicare is proposing to let plans do more of that prior authorization step therapy that might kind of. Force a patient to start with the most, the cheapest, cost effective drug first. Um, They're also saying that plans could actually exclude a protected class drug from their formulary if the price of the drug rises faster than inflation or if companies make sort of minor tweaks that aren't really seen as like significant to the medicine, what the medicine does for you. And this is where you're going to, I think, see a lot of pushback and it's going to become really controversial. And it's pretty fascinating because I think um, this is not seen as a very Republican idea or conservative idea. And actually, in 2014, President o- then President Obama tried to do make some changes to the protected classes, and it completely collapsed amid you know political pushback from all sides of the aisle.
0: And where is that blowback? Do you think is going to come from? Is that going to come from disease groups that are worried about this, or, or other interested parties?
1: So right now, I'm only seeing the pushback from kind of disease groups, patient groups, the drug industry. In the past, you would have expected members of Congress to come out pretty fast against a proposal like this. And we haven't seen that yet. And we also didn't see that um, when a few weeks ago President Trump announced another fairly controversial idea of tying Medicare Part B drug prices to international prices. And I think it's one of these interesting situations where – You know, as our editor says, you know, only Nixon could have gone to China. Well, apparently only Republicans can take on drug pricing in this way and not get the pushback. Because if this was President Obama doing this, I guarantee you the Republicans in Congress would have sent like 10 letters to HHS right now and would be, I mean, all up in arms. But so far they've kind of been holding their fire.
0: And what you said, two significant proposals. I want to go back to that. What's the second of those among the the Part D changes that they announced on Monday?
1: So the other one is that um, this administration has really been focused on the role of rebating in the cost of drugs and how it may be inflating the list prices of drugs. And that different parts of the system, they're saying instead of kind of you know the PBMs and the health plans angling to get the prices of drugs down they may actually be have incentives to keep the prices high and pocket money from the rebates in this rule what they proposed is to essentially eliminate pharmacy concessions to PBMs they're not eliminating them per se but they're saying that those concessions won't be able to sort of factor into the Medicare reimbursement rate it's interesting because this is a much narrower proposal than people were expecting from from Medicare. They were expecting them to do a much broader share the rebate savings with patients. And this is just tackling a very small portion of the rebate game. So... The other interesting thing about this is it ends up costing the government money because what plans say is, well, we take rebates like pharmacy concessions or drug manufacturer rebates and use them to lower premiums. Taxpayers, the government subsidize premiums. So if you switch that around and take that money and put it towards patients' direct savings at the pharmacy counter, you no longer have that premium lowering effect, which can be really good for the patient, that individual patient buying the drug. But it means premiums are likely to rise. So this scores as costing the government anywhere from 13 to 16 billion over a decade.
0: What's your sense of why they scaled that back so dramatically? Was there already sort of blowback that they were getting? Is that what you were hearing from lobbyists or what?
1: (laughs) One reason I think could be again, the cost to the government. So if you included, if you made health plans share rebates from drug manufacturers with patients at the pharmacy counter, what you'd actually have is a score of closer to 40, 42 billion over 10 years per some past um, analyses from the offices of management and budget. So I think that doesn't look great. Another reason could be is that Medicare has been talking more broadly about trying to somehow eliminate or dramatically scale back the legality of manufactured rebates, so pharma rebates to PBMs, and there's another pending rule on that. So it's possible they decided to keep this rule focused more on the pharmacy concession rebate side because they're going to do another rule that might kind of – more dramatically change the rebating on the other end.
0: I want to pull back a little big picture. I mean, we've heard a lot about drug pricing from the Trump administration. We've seen a lot of efforts. Where are we at? How much of this is rhetoric? How much is this substantive? Are these proposals really going to do much in the end to drive down costs? Or is this more talking points?
1: I think if you talked to me like three or four months ago, I would say a lot of it was rhetoric. There's not a lot of concrete action that will lead to lower prices. In the past month or so, they've actually rolled out policies that could result in significant savings for patients. Um, All of them will take a lot of time. These are all proposed rules at really early stages of development or demonstration pilot projects that will take years. But again, they all do have potential to reap savings. So it's just a matter of kind of seeing how long they take to implement and, again, if these proposed rules survive political scrutiny and pushback and actually end up being final rules that have the same amount of weight.
0: I want to pivot back to Congress a little bit. And Alice, I want you to jump in here, too. We've got obviously big changes coming to Congress next year. Democrats taking over the House, for one, but also pertinent to health care issues. Senator Grassley, assuming the chairmanship of the 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 finance committee. What does that mean? I'll start with you, Sarah. What does that mean in terms of the likelihood of legislation attacking drug prices?
1: I think it significantly increases the odds. Grassley um, is probably a polar opposite from the retiring chairman, Senator Orrin Hatch, on drug costs. Um, he's but he's not focused on the same sorts of policies that a lot of Democrats are. So I think that's important to think about. So he's never vo- he hasn't voted in favor of Medicare government negotiations for drug pricing. But he is in favor of things like drug importation, importing drugs from overseas that may be cheaper. He's big on going after things that he sees as anti-competitive, so making sure that brand and generic drug companies aren't kind of – Colluding to keep products off the market longer. So he focuses a lot on these pay-for-delay agreements where court settlements end with a brand company paying a generic company to stay off the market. So he has sort of niche areas, but we'll see where he can kind of get alignment with Democrats. Alice? Alice? Yeah, in
2: the House, I think just we've seen this big swing to the left. I mean, not just that Democrats are taking over the House, but a real sort of new progressive class coming up um, after this wave election, um, which focused so much on health care. And so I think they really feel a mandate to do something. Um, so I think we've been hearing that they want to have hearings on the issue of direct government negotiation of drug prices uh, just as early as they come into power, starting in January. Um, And those hearings are designed to produce policies and bills down the road.
0: And what about beyond drug prices? I mean, there's been so much fervor on the left among, you know, things like single payer. Um, They're going to have to at least pay it lip service. Not to sound too cynical. Um, what do you expect on that front? Is, there, is is that Are there likely to be hearings like starting to lay the groundwork for you know a potential, some kind of Medicare for all proposal?
2: I think you're definitely going to see hearings. Um, I mean, think about how many hearings went into creating the Affordable Care Act and how many years that took. And so I think at least getting the ball rolling and airing some ideas. We've already seen several different single payer, Medicare for all, Medicaid for all, buy-in. Plans introduced already under um, the Republican Congress by Democrats. So I think um, there is likely to be some infighting among Democrats about what plan is best and how radical to be and how— incremental to be. And there are many Democrats who don't want to go down that road at all and just want to protect the Affordable Care Act from further um, administrative sabotage. So um, I, think, I think it's going to be, uh, yeah, a, d- a difficult <laughs> road ahead. But I think that um, a lot of folks feel uh, a strong push from the election results to get going. Anything
0: else um, that you think should be we should be thinking about as we think about 2019 and democratic control
2: well it it, it just can't underscore enough that the election results closed the door on repeal. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's huge. <laughs> With Repeal has dominated Congress for years and years and years. And for a while, the White House veto was what was stopping it. And now it's going to be the Democratic House, which which is really big. Um, I think um, it's also going to close the door on a lot of attempts to roll back reproductive rights and defund Planned Parenthood um, that we saw coming out of the last Congress um, as well. So I, I think it just it has all these really big implications for Healthcare going forward. An issue we've been reporting on is that Democrats campaigned on protecting uh, pre-existing conditions, which are protected under the Affordable Care Act. And if the courts don't <laughs> strike that down, they don't need to do anything, but they feel a political uh, necessity to pass something related to pre-existing conditions. And there's a lot of discussion and anxiety about exactly what that should look like.
0: Yeah, I should note that uh, I guess CMS Administrator Seema Verma yesterday came out saying that she has a secret plan <laughs>
2: that she won't tell us, <laughs> that she won't
0: talk about, um, but for, she has it, don't <laughs> yes. worry, be reassured um, <laughs> to protect pre-existing conditions if indeed the Texas uh, court um, strikes down those protections, as I think a lot of people think is is likely to happen, although any resolution of that is going to drag on for years because it's undoubtedly going to go all the way to the Supreme Court.
2: Right. And so one thing we're hearing is very likely is that and something that the Democratic House can do on its own as soon as it takes power next year is to um, pass a resolution authorizing the House's counsel to try to intervene in the lawsuit and argue on behalf of the House as a party. And it's sort of symbolic, but it also has practical importance because the case hinges on what was Congress's intent. Did Congress intend for the rest of Obamacare to survive without the individual mandate? And if you have the House Counsel being in there being like, hey, I represent the House, and the House, yes, in fact, did intend Obamacare to survive without the individual mandate because We debated repealing the whole thing a bunch of times, and we did not. So the record is clear. And so having that voice in there could could make a big difference, and it's something that they wouldn't have to force through the Republican Senate.
0: Okay, I think we've got to wrap things up. Alice, your first time on the Pulse Check podcast. Thanks for being here.
2: Sure. Happy to come back anytime.
0: Sarah Carlin-Smith, thank you for joining us.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me.
0: Okay. This week's Pulse Check was produced by Jenny Ament. Dave Shaw is the executive producer of Politico Audio. Find links to the stories we referenced in today's show in the show notes. If you like me hosting better than Dan (coughs) Diamond, say so in review on Apple Podcasts. Uh, Thanks, everybody. We'll be back in your podcast feed next week, and hopefully Dan will be back joining us.